Today's podcast is brought to you by the Ashbrook Center. The Ashbrook Center is an independent center at Ashland University that teaches students, teachers, and citizens what it means to be an American. Ashbrook's new book, 50 Core American Documents, tells America's story from the founding through the 20th century using original historical documents. Get your copy of Ashbrook's 50 Core American Documents today in the iTunes store or at 50docs.org. That's 50docs.org. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Jay Koss. And Jay, usually we're talking to you, we're talking about numbers crunching and about what voters are already up to. But you wrote an interesting piece for the Weekly Standard about uh, a, a strategy, to quote our former president, on how Republicans should deal with President Obama's decision to issue that executive order. So are you going full on Ted Cruz here, Jay? You ready to shut the government down and get out the pitchforks? No, <laughs> no, not quite, not quite there yet. But look, I, I think that uh, uh, con- Congress needs to be careful here. They need to understand that uh, politics still governs uh, their reaction. But they, they need to balance that acknowledgement with with, the, with another acknowledgement, which is which is that you know, look, questions of constitutional appropriateness are not solely the domain of the courts. It certainly is in part the domain of the courts, but every member of Congress takes an oath to uphold, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Implicit with that, in that oath, for instance, is an acknowledgment that, you know, if I think a piece of legislation is unconstitutional, I am oath-bound to vote against it. The president makes a similar oath, which means that every branch of the government has a responsibility to interpret the Constitution and to oppose measures that, they, that the branch deems to be unconstitutional. And if Congress, particularly the House, but also perhaps the Senate as well, considering there are some red state Democrats still left, if the House really feels like this is an unconstitutional measure, then I would suggest they are duty-bound to act uh, uh, to, to, it, it, to at least point it out. And I think that, one, historically speaking, something that past Congresses have done when they have felt that a president has behaved contrary to the Constitution is a censure, which would just be a formal resolution, um, you know, recorded in the congressional record, uh, saying, you know, look, we think the president violated the Constitution. And in my article, I use as, um, as my template, I use the 1834 censure of Andrew Jackson, which read really simply, it just said, resolved that the president in the late executive proceedings in relation to public revenue has assumed upon himself authority and power not conferred by the Constitution and laws, but in derogation of both. I think Congress should consider doing something like that. But, and I, I'm not a historian, but as I recall, uh, President Jackson won that fight. And that yes, Jackson <laughs> redefined the presidency and that Jacksonian democracy or Jackson, you know, Jackson Democrats had quite a long uh, history of success. Yes, he did. Well, it's important not to overstate that because the Whigs were, were successful as well. And in the long run, Whig economic policy triumph. But you're right. In the short term, Jackson, Jackson was successful. And so I don't think uh, that a censure alone, a censure alone can actually have the exact opposite effect that you intend. Because if all you're doing is passing a resolution and nothing happens, it just makes you look impotent. So what I sort of argued in the magazine last week was Congress should combine some sort of sensible parliamentary budgetary maneuvers against the president with a censure. The parliamentary maneuvers or the budget, the budget actions would be the forceful, it would be sort of the tip of the, the spear, so to speak. 
Uh, but a censure could set the moral tone for the action, and I think that's something Congress needs to bear in mind, because in its past couple of interactions with re- Republican interactions with Democratic presidents that have gotten sort of you know serious, uh, I, I mean, and I would in that category I would consider it shut down in 2013 shut down in 95-96, and also the Clinton impeachment battles of the late 90s. I think that congressional Republicans did not have, did not occupy the moral high ground, which is not to say that they shouldn't have, but it's, it's rather to say occupying the moral high ground is a political battle. And I think, you know, a censure could help you, could help Republicans frame the debate and, and enable them to occupy the moral high ground to communicate to the public, hey, look, you know, we're withholding funds from the president, and the censure explains why, because he has done something really inappropriate, and he has to be stopped. So we agree that the censure is meaningless by itself, that if that were the beginning and end of the response, that that would be essentially nothing, because that's definitely how the average grassroots Republican feels, is that censure is a joke. I mean, look what happened to Eric Holder. He's been censured. Right. Does anyone even care? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. A censure alone is 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 meek. Uh, bordering on the counterproductive. But, you know, look, I would add uh, as well, I, I have concerns about the c- Congress continually running to the courts every time the president does something uh, that they don't like. Uh, you know, Congress has tools in its toolbox. And and moreover, only Yuval Levin made a great point um, a couple days ago looking at this. You know, when the courts are going to look at sort of a constitutional question, they're going to look at it in a narrow legalistic sense and they do that in large part because the courts are defensive conservative branch conservative sort of in a, in a sort of a bigger sense of the word because they're not popularly elected so they're going to try and resolve questions on the narrowest grounds possible you know but that sort of narrow legalistic thinking can often miss the forest for the trees and the, and and the, and, and the the forest in this sort of analogy is this broader balance of powers between the two between the president and the legislature and and maybe on a technically legalistic narrow interpretation of past president precedent what the president has done may not merit a uh, a, a judicial rebuke but what, what a congress can look at it from a much larger broader perspective and say no look we were debating this law we decided against it and you went and enacted it anyway that is a violation of our ancient constitutional order that is the sort of statement that only congress can make running to the courts is not going to enable that kind of statement uh, one last question for you the uh, if congress could let's say this were a traditional legislative fight where there was an actual line in the uh, a budget they could point at and not fund, and they send it to the president, and he says, "Well, I'm going to veto it until you fund it, and I'm going to keep vetoing it until you fund it." Are we at the point where Congress has already lost that fight? Because if the president vetoes every budget, therefore there's no money, and you know, and there's a quote shutdown, whatever, that the media is going to present it as Republicans shut down the government no matter what happens. Right. Well, I mean, that's, of course, the concern. I mean, one of the advantages that they, the Republicans would have now is that they can narrow the scope of battle on, the sh- on any kind of shutdown. You know, that was the problem they had with dealing with Harry Reid, is that, you know, he set it up as an all-or-nothing proposition. So you can narrow the scope here and hopefully narrow it down enough that it doesn't have broad ripple effects. But then, yeah, I mean, after that, look, it's a political battle. You know, that's what it is. And, and ultimately, 
Michael, I think that if Congress is not prepared to fight that battle, and maybe they're not, maybe it's not in their interest. I don't have the polling data in front of me. I'm not privy to the internal discussions of the congressional leadership and their estimation of where they stand in the political universe. If they don't think they can win that battle, they should do nothing. Because the worst possible outcome, in my opinion, in this case, is congressional uh, is, is a lot of congressional yelling with no congressional action. That would have the same effect as what happened in 1834, where the Whig Senate censured Jackson, and Jackson got what he wanted anyway, and it just made Congress look impotent. Jay Koss, thanks so much for both the history lesson and the <laughs> modern suggestions about how to move forward. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.